Today's Unseminary Resource is brought to you by Aware3. At Aware3, their goal is to help your church build connections using mobile technology. They help you extend church beyond Sunday mornings by putting it in the palm of everyone's hand. Learn more about how a custom mobile app can help you improve engagement, communication, and generosity at www.aware3.com. The number three dot com. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich, the host around these parts. Thanks so much for serving at your church. Uh, We know that you've got a really busy week this week, and uh, we're just honored that you would take some time out to listen in. Every week we try to have uh, church leaders that have led in some unique situations to try to help us learn and grow uh, in our situation. And today I'm just honored uh, so much to have Pastor Danny Anderson with us. He's from Emmanuel Church. Uh, this church was was founded in by the founding pastor, Jim, and you'll see why that's important here. Uh, Jim uh, Devney in 1977 and Danny Anderson, who originally was Emmanuel's uh, high school pastor, took over uh, in 2006. This church continues to grow today. Uh, 2013 became a multi-site church. So, Danny, welcome to the show. It's an honor. Thanks for having me, Rich. Oh, I'm so glad you're here uh, today. Why don't you give us a sense of Emmanuel Church? Kind of give us, if people were to arrive uh, this weekend, what would they experience? And kind of give us the your connection, your story with this church. Yeah, so I feel like if people walked into our church this weekend, uh, what they would experience is a welcoming environment. It's very warm. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a place that makes sense to mm-hmm. people. And we hear that a lot. And uh, our message, our message is uh, about life mm-hmm. and how the Bible uh, intersects with our lives. And and uh, the music is contemporary, so it's uh, it's relevant to to uh, what's going on in our world today musically. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it makes sense to people. And, and and the message is transformative. And so we always, we're always trying to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. So mm, Very cool. Well, one of the things that uh, caught my attention was at the age of 28, uh, you ended up taking over from the founding pastor who had founded the church 29 years before. So the church was actually older than you, uh, and yeah. he had been there you know, longer than you'd been alive. Uh, man, I want to hear that story. Uh, kind of give me your connection. How did you get connected originally as a youth pastor? And let's try to talk through that uh, transition. Well, you know, my story goes uh, back to a woman. Uh, I met my wife at Liberty University, and uh, I was at that time I was studying to be a communication. You know, I was a communications major. I wasn't even in seminary at Liberty. Um, When we got married, we got married at Emanuel because she grew up uh, at the church Mm -hmm. and in the Center Grove Greenwood area, and kind of met the pastor at that time. And you know, six months later, they were looking for a youth pastor, and they. actually went back to Liberty uh, to f- kind of finish up a class, and they called and they said, hey, would you come back for an interview uh, in, for the youth pastor position? And so I, you know, I said, goodness, I'm 22 years old. Why not give it a shot? Right. And I had done some youth ministry stuff you know, on the weekends at Liberty, you know, some Discipleship Now stuff, and I really loved it. And uh, so I gave it a shot, and uh, one thing led to another, and I really enjoyed it. And, and uh, God used uh, God used the ministry there to reach a lot of teenagers for Christ. So that's kind of how things started as, uh, as a youth pastor there. Wow, that's amazing. Now, at what point did the kind of conversation begin to shift 
um, as uh, your senior pastor started to think about his transition and what, what did that look like? Well, it was kind of a, it was, it was kind of abrupt. <laughs> Honestly, I was sitting in my office one day and, um, you know, he walked in and he, you know, he's, he's a great guy. God did wonderful things through, through him over 29 years. And the church was running like over 2000 people at that time. And, uh, but you know, you could tell that he was, he was starting to have feelings of, of, um, at least those close to him, he was starting to have feelings of wanting to move on and retire. And so one day he walked into my office and, uh, just kind of shocked me without any, uh, any, uh, necessary prep, he said, you know, I want you to pray about this. Uh, I think, you know, I want you to replace me. <laughs> wow. And uh, we're, you know, I want to do like a two-year kind of an overlap transition period and uh, just kind of, boom, drop that Sprung ball. it on you. <laughs> wow. So uh, that kind of started the process and, you know, yeah, from there. Wow. So now what did the transition phase look like? How did you kind of, did you follow some steps? What were the ups and downs of that process? You know, we wanted to and we intended to and we kind of had a plan that was put together and it was supposed to be this nice, smooth thing that happened. But I don't know if this is normal in churches. It doesn't always kind of work out that way. And so uh, our plan kind of fell apart and Mm -hmm. things ended up getting a lot more condensed. And uh, so I ended up taking over uh, as the senior pastor more quickly than uh, the plan uh, was designed. (laughs) And so... Uh, it got a little messy, and you know, it just it there was a struggle there. Okay church, okay, church transitions can be a little bit ugly. Yeah, well, let's unpack that a little bit if you don't mind. You know, I'd love to hear a little more about that, so we can, you know, try to help some other folks who are going through. This is obviously a huge issue for, um, you know, for churches. What were some of those things that you feel like, hey, this was a good step? Uh, it was kind of heading in the right direction, and then, or you know, were there some potholes that you're like, okay. If I want to talk to other church leaders who are going through this, here's some potholes to avoid. Well, you know, as a young guy, at that time I was 20, you know, 27 years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had, um, I guess a lot of it I would would put on myself. Uh, If I were to go back and do it again, I would have um, honored him a ton more. you know, the founding guy, people loved him, they adored him. Um, you know, he's the guy that fought the battles. He's the one who, who's bled for all these years and, and won these victories and led the church to, to do great things. And I wasn't as honoring uh, to him as I should have been. And so there were some things that I had said um, uh, that, that hurt, you know, hurt feelings and, and things happened like that. Um, and so that kind of caused him to kind of drift away a little bit and kind of unplug and not really support me and then but the thing was already going so you know we had to keep keep things you know looking good on the outside but behind the scenes there was this tension so on my side of things I would have I would have been a lot more honoring to him and um, but you know there there were there were it was it was a difficult we, we didn't really have a mapped out plan like we should have. We should have had steps. And, I, you know, I've done a little research on this. Most senior pastors who are transitioning, they don't have a plan. Right, right. It's, it's, and that's a, that's a big part of the problem. What are those steps that, that we need to take? And so uh, I would encourage pastors who are thinking about transitioning uh, or younger pastors who are about to transition to really work on a step-by-step plan because it is absolutely essential to have that or else things can really get you know, get ugly. Right. Now, did you bring any kind of outside help to, with this process or did you, you know, kind of just, you know, dream it up by yourself or what, what did that look like? 
You know, at that time we did not. Okay. It was, it was kind of created by the founding pastor and um, he had an idea of wanting to kind of be, uh, to stay on staff. Mm-hmm. And that, this was really the point of, of tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted to kind of stay, stay close and, and uh, maybe have an office in the building. Mm-hmm. And I knew enough about leadership at that point that uh, that's just not going to work, especially as the founding pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, people would never fully be able to look to me as the, new, as the new senior pastor. And so that was really the rub there. And our elders kind of sided with me on that. Um, and then it just, you know, he felt pushed out. And he wasn't, but that's the feeling that he, he got. And so um, it, what ended up happening was he ended up taking a church 13 miles up the road. Okay. And that, that <laughs> made things very interesting for mm. Emmanuel moving forward. Um, so... <laughs> That caused all kinds of struggles. But in the long run, it ended up being a good thing mm. because uh, we had a different vision. We had a, I mean, it, so the people that didn't want to be part of a new vision had a place to go. Mm. You know, at the time, it hurt like heck. Right. Because you're losing, we went from about 2,000 to 900. Wow. Because a lot of those folks followed him to the to the new church, and um, and some didn't, but they were confused about the whole situation and who to believe and who to trust, and did I do him wrong or or, or what? And so, it just got real messy. So, now it kind of take me inside at that point. So your kind of attendance is in a bit of a free fall. People are shifting. There was obviously been a change in plan. It went from like, hey, I'm going to retire to like, well, actually, no, I'm going to go to this church, you know, 13 miles down the road. Um, you know, what was going on, you know, on your interior, on t- interior at that point? Um, and what did you learn? How did you kind of, um, you know, process through that experience? Yeah, you know, inside, I thought, um, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm right. failing. Uh, I'm, I, maybe this is not for me. Maybe I'm not called. You know, every Sunday, I'm watching attendance go down. I mean, literally every Sunday I'm looking behind me and there's less and less people. Right. And I'm thinking, am I destroying this church? You know, and I've, mm-hmm. you, I was thinking that from time to time. So, you know, it really was, um, I've never had a major failure in my life like that. Like mm-hmm. I felt that, like this, I'm totally blowing this. Wow. Um, so I had to, uh, you know, I leaned heavily into our elders. And if <laughs> I would encourage any pastor who's going through a transition or taking over for a senior pastor to, to get the buy-in of their elders because without their strength and support, you're just not going to make it. You're going to quit. You're going to give up. Um, and so they they were very affirming to me, very supportive. They said, hey, we believe in this new vision. Stay the course. And so I did a lot of that. But also in my personal life, my prayer life uh, deepened. Um, you know, I really had to ask myself the question, do I want to make disciples? Because this is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And if I don't really want to make disciples, I'm, I, I might, I'm going to quit. Because mm. <laughs> there's nothing good about this right now. And it was like that for about a year and a half. Wow. Uh, it was a long time. So, uh, yeah, so I just really, it, it was a good thing for me because it made me look into my heart and ask the really hard questions of, do I really want to be a pastor and make disciples? And the answer was yes. Mm. So that made me stick it out. It's like, mm. I really want to do this. Mm. And regardless of what happens, if the church grows or or if we reach thousands of people and blah, blah, because I had all these dreams. You know, when you're young, yep. you're 26 years old, you're thinking, I'm going to take over and the church is going to go from 2,000 to, to, to 3,000 in a year. Yep. And, and it just did 
none of it happened. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so, wow, that's that's amazing. So now I think a lot of times we think about casting vision or kind of articulating a preferred future. Um, you know, we do that when we talk about you know, we, we kind of cast a vision and the assumption is like, oh, things are going to go great. I'm going to cast this vision. People are going to rally. And what were some of the, you know, differences in vision that you were trying to cast and what was happening in the midst of that? You're kind of, you know, in a bit of a free fall, you're casting a vision, you know, looking to the future. Um, how were you able to kind of stay on that path um, even in the midst of, you know, some tough times? Sure. So the differences in the vision, uh, your first question there was we were a very f- traditional Christ, uh, inner focused church. I mean, it was a good church for a Christian. Mm-hmm. They got good biblical teaching. The music was geared towards Christians. Mm-hmm. And I just had, I was more of a, I learned from Bill Hybels, you know, let's turn irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Christ. Let's reach mm-hmm. people who are not Christians. So our vision was different. We were more mm-hmm. focused on those who weren't there. So that was a big huge turn off, turn off to a lot of people. Um, and uh, Rich, sorry, what was your second question there? The, the second question was, how did you kind of stay focused? Or maybe it's maybe it's a little bit a little crisper question. How did you kind of cast that vision, even yeah. in the midst of you know a bit of the, the shrinking and the you know the refinement that was happening? Yeah. So um, I I really am a big Andy Stanley fan, and uh, he wrote a little book called Making Vision Stick, mm-hmm. and he had four or five really good points. I don't know if you've seen that book. If you haven't, or yeah, it's it's fantastic. And uh, one of the the first things he says in that book is to state it simply, state the vision simply, cast it convincingly. Um, and so we started to we did that. We came up with this vision. Uh, we exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. Mm-hmm. And we would say it, and we would say it. And I started. We would do series on it, and then we would tell stories about how uh, it was happening. And that you know, Andy in the book he says you have to celebrate it, you, the vision. And the best mm-hmm. way to do that is to you know, tell people stories. This right, is a person right. who wasn't a Christ follower, then they became a Christ follower. Here's their name. Here's how it happened. And we just started doing that over and over. And, and before I knew it, people were getting it. They were mm-hmm. starting to buy in. Mm-hmm. Even though all this other stuff was going on, it was like, wow, people's lives are being changed. And one thing I realized is that you cannot argue with, with life change. Oh, so true. I mean, and it's happening, you, you could say this about this person or this about, but people start to pay attention. Mm-hmm. They start to invite their friends. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just kept beating that drum. And then we got kind of creative with it. Mm-hmm. Um, like one time, uh, one of our staff members had this idea to pull out all of the pages out of a phone book. Mm. I mean, thousands and thousands. <laughs> right. We covered the entire floor mm. of the auditorium. Mm-hmm. And we had people, you know, step on them during the service. And we said, what are those pages representative of? Mm. And they're all the names of the people that lived in our area. Hmm. Um, and they are the people that we're trying to reach. Wow. And, then, and then another thing we did that was still with us today is we said, take two or three names of people that live in your neighborhood, your friends, your family, your coworkers, and let's write them somewhere in our auditorium. Mm. Literally in our auditoriums, we have three campuses. One is in a high school, middle school, so we can't do it yet there because that would be vandalism. <laughs> we challenge our people to write the names on the stage and on the walls of the auditorium so that every weekend they know who they were here to reach. And so it's a visible reminder. And so we just get creative and we cast that vision and we make sure it's simple. Mm-hmm. Mem- you know, Andy talks about it has got to be memorable. Mm-hmm. 
Very so. cool. Very cool. Now, um, obviously, you're still there. So something yeah. happened, right? <laughs> it, you know, things, I'm assuming at some point, the kind of the leakage, uh, the, you know, shrinking stopped, and then it turned around. Yeah. Um, and uh, tell us about that story. What kind of, what, what did that look like? Yeah, so around 2006, I, t- right in 2006, I took over. Mm. Things went downhill. Around 2008, we started to notice that people were bringing their friends. And, uh, and it was because we were talking about everything I just mentioned. You know, we were casting that vision. And I, and I personally embraced the vision. So, you know, I try to lead people to Christ in my personal life. That's so important for pastors to do. Man, if you're not a pastor doing personal evangelism, you can't, you can't expect your people to do it. Mm-hmm. So I would just throw that in there. But so I was leading people to Christ and then I would tell their stories. And, mm-hmm. and so momentum started to build. And at that point, um, we realized we we needed to expand our auditorium. We needed to remodel, oh, wow. and so um, we uh, we engaged a builder. Uh, I don't know if people have heard of Aspen. I'm sure they had. They built church buildings, and uh, the president, his name's Ed Baylor, is a good friend of mine now. Um, we brought him in, and he he came in and he said, "You're still not ready to build. Mm. You, you you have to you have to get." Uh, an understanding of the psyche of your people. Mm-hmm. There's momentum, but you still got to figure things out uh, in their hearts. You know, there's, and so we hired a consultant uh, organization called Tag, um, and they came in and they basically did a survey, churchwide survey, of where are the hearts of our people? Like, what mm-hmm. are they? What are they struggling with? And what happened was there was still a lot of pain left mm-hmm. over from the transition. Right. And so we got this church-wide survey. We got all these answers back. And it gave us, as leaders, the opportunity to know how to lead our people. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and so before we started saying, hey, give money to this, give money to that, let's right. build this. Let, you know, We want to jump to that as church leaders because that's <laughs> right, exactly. But uh, we understood the heart of our people. And the biggest thing we got from that survey was that our people felt like you're not communicating with us. You're not mm-hmm. telling us what's going on. You're not, you know, and they wanted to know more. So we just ramped that up. Right. We ramped the communication up and started telling them, like, we, you always think you're saying it enough. Right. Inside, but we never are. No. So we just ramped it up even more, and and uh, so then we we ended up doing a project after that with Aspen, and we modeled our audit- our auditorium, replaced the pews with with nice uh, you know stadium seating, and um, we redid our our lobby and our children's wow. wing, and that brought a surge of new people. Hmm. The, the excitement, you know, people were proud to bring their friends and couple that with the vision. Um, we saw a surge in attendance, so we probably went at that point from, you know, from where we were back up to 2000 and then beyond that. Hmm. that and then we saw a steady growth for, you know, about, I would say, two more years of about, you know, 500 people or so yep. a year. And, uh, and that led us into the next phase which was the multi-side phase wow those discussions yeah so now at that point so this is incredible that's an incredible turnaround and I, you know I, I think hopefully there's there may be leaders that are listening in today that are in that you know that phase where things are, are are maybe in decline and I'm hoping you know you'll you've listened in on some of the things today I love that you're talking about you know clarity and that you personally were living the vision I think so many yeah. times you know, church leaders, we love to import import our vision on other people, but it's not impacting us. It's not really integrated into our lives. 
Um, so then, you know, you kind of ended up in this new phase. You're looking multi-site. You're having to, you know, I'm assuming raise resources, you know, in the midst of all that. Yeah. How did that happen? And I'd love to hear that story because, you know, you went from, you know, a, a little bit of a, a leader that people you know, were having trouble following, you know, documented evidence. They're saying, hey, you're not communicating to us to then having to raise money and send volunteers out to launch a new campus. What was that process like when you stepped out uh, to raise some additional resources? Well, you know, we really are a learning church. Like we just take a learning posture. We, we're honest enough to say we don't know how to right. do things. And I never forget, I read a book called Humilitas uh, by John Dixon. Mm. He said, you know, what you don't know far outweighs what you do know. And I just love that quote. And so we hired a consultant again. We said, hey, we don't know how to raise money. So uh, we, we found Generis, which is a great, great company. And I'm sure a lot of the guys have heard of that. Yeah. Um, and they helped me understand and walk through the process of how to do a capital campaign and raise mil- you know a couple of million dollars for for a project and and uh, so I, I I got three things here that that I would say to that is number one hire a consultant mm-hmm. you know if if you don't know and the big thing about that was it gave me courage right I mean it absolutely gave me this okay, I can do this kind of, because it gives you the practical know-how. And then you have to execute the plan. And that's, I mean, it's one thing to get a plan and then you got to do it. (laughs) Somebody's actually got to do the work. Yeah. So (laughs) I remember our first, our first uh, capital campaign, we, I mean, there was probably a three or four week phase there where I was with a small group every night of the week. Right casting this vision right. to the small group leaders and the small group members and then we did the series and then you know then we did the you know the pledge card and it was a it was a ton of work you right. know and so you got to be ready to execute on that mm-hmm. and then the third thing that I think this this uh, is so invaluable for me um, the the guy I was working with his name's Brad Leeper he said mm-hmm. you have to build personal relationships with your high capacity donors in fact you would have to disciple them mm-hmm. And it clicked. Mm-hmm. It clicked with me. Like mm-hmm. these people, they need they need to become like Christ, just like everybody else. Right. And so I engaged in that. I threw myself into that. And I'll just tell you this really quick. And I don't mm-hmm. say this to brag at all. This right. is God to God's glory. But we're getting ready to 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 build our third our third site, temporary site. Mm-hmm. Now it's meeting in a middle school, and it's going to be about seven million bucks or something wow. like that. Yeah. And so uh, I'm engaging these relationships that I built over seven years, yep. already given gifts. And uh, last week we received a gift, uh, a commitment. It hasn't come yet of six hundred thousand from one family. Wow! And we already got a gift from another family of five hundred thousand. Wow, so that's amazing! From two of those families. Um, we were, you know, a seventh of the way there or more, and and that's just the power of relationship. Yes. That would have never happened eight years ago. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have those relationships. Absolutely, all of the trust that has been built over these years. Um, it's just, it's so valuable. Absolutely. You know, I just want to lean in on that, particularly that last part about developing relationships. There's a a number of church leaders who would listen in and say, I don't even want to know who gives what to my church. Um, You know, I I don't want to have any, I, I, and, and they almost come at it from a, 
um, if we're honest, like almost like a spiritual, you know, superiority point of view, like, oh, I don't need to know those things. Um, what would you say to a church leader who says that? Uh, because obviously, if you're leaning in with, because I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, if you're leaning in with, with kind of core donors, then you obviously have a sense of that data and, you know, are using that data ultimately to, to drive a discipleship outcome. What would you say to a leader who says that today? Sure, I would say, I would say uh, that's unfortunate. If you're in, the, if you're at that position, because making money, I learned this from Bill Hybels in a in an audio program CD he did one time. Uh, it is a gift. Mm. It is an absolute gift. Some people have the have the God given ability to make money, mm-hmm. and so Hybels said you have to look at those folks in the same way you would look at a musician. Mm-hmm. If someone has amazing musical talent. You want to come alongside of them and say, hey, will you leverage that for the kingdom? And when he said that, I was like, that's it. Right. I, these, I am going to come alongside of these folks and, and disciple them, encourage them, cast vision to them so that they can help further the kingdom. And it absolutely works. And there's nothing unspiritual about it. In fact, I think it's a very spiritual process. Mm, very cool. Well, is there anything else you want to share before we pivot into the lightning round? Well, you know, I, I love to talk about preaching because mm. I, it's, it's one of the things I love to do. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, our church is where it is today because we've hung in there and we've done some, some of these things with, uh, you know, internally. We've developed great teams. We've hired the right people. We didn't get a chance to talk too much about that. But mm-hmm. if, if the communication from the platform is um, inspirational, if it's transformational, uh, people will bring their friends. Mm. So I, I would just say a couple of things about, about communication. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read Andy Stanley's book, Communicating for a Change, absolutely must read Great it. read, absolutely, 100%. I mean, it's changed the whole way I communicate. Um, but I believe with all my heart that it's got to be authentic. People today are looking for the pastor to be authentic. Is this guy real? Mm. If he's not real, uh, they don't connect. Right. And so... Sure. There used to be a time when people wanted leaders. It was almost like we wanted leaders that were aloof or, you know, disconnected. It was like there was something reassuring about that. But that that's not the case anymore. What does authenticity look like for you? How, how does that work itself out? Because I think everybody agrees. But how does that work itself out in your teaching? Sure. So I think that there's there's some path. You can step over the line on this and share too much from the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a level that is this takes discernment. It, you have to open up your life. And, and um, my best sermons are when I say, look, here's how, this is, here's how this truth is working itself out in my life. Or here's how I'm, I blew it when I was supposed to do this the way Jesus said to do it. And I totally messed it up. But, and, but so I'm working on this. And so if people can see that, oh, yeah, he's talking with me here. He's not preaching down at me. He just shared a story about his life, how he's struggling too. I can listen to this guy mm-hmm. and they're engaged. And so I try to tell stories. Um, I try to be very honest about where I'm struggling on an issue. Um, and, and that's that's how I try to do it. And that's just, that's our culture now at, at the church. Very cool. Yeah. Anything else on the on the teaching front you'd love to share? You know, I... I I really do feel like the, the teaching has to be trans, transformative. And Dallas Willard is somebody that's shaping my, my understanding of, of uh, Christianity over the last couple of years. And, and the, the heart is where I go for. The, I feel like the teaching's got to be at the heart level because we live from our heart, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, Proverbs 4.23, out of the heart flow the issues of life, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like uh, a message has to be geared towards changing the heart of a human being. And if, and if we're doing that, we're going to see disciples get made. And so mm -hmm. I would just challenge you know, pastors and, and myself included to continue to go for the heart. This is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Well, we're going to jump into the lightning round. This is the part of the episode where we ask similar questions to everybody that's on the show. Today, I'm super honored to have Danny Anderson with us today from uh, Emanuel Church. It's a fantastic church based in Greenwood. Uh, and this is a, we're just so glad you're here today. Um, what's an, an online resource that you're using these days that's helping you in your ministry? You know, I'm... I'm a pen and paper guy, so uh, I have to say there's not a whole lot. I, I need to I need to evolve in that, but I do love my app, my uh, my uh, app uh, podcast app and yep. my Audible app on my nice. phone. I use them all the time. In fact, Rich, I listen to your podcast all uh -oh. the time. Appreciate it. Now I got to send you twenty bucks. When you say that kind of stuff, that's that's a problem. <laughs> uh, what's a book you've read in the last I don't know maybe six months that's shaping your ministry or thinking? Okay, essentialism. Great book, Fantastic great book. Um, just love the idea that success can actually be the thing that derails you over the long haul, and I just, I just love the whole book. And we've done, a, we've done a series on it at the church. It's, it's fantastic. Very cool. Um, what's another ministry that you're looking to that inspires you? Uh, we're definitely North Point fans, yep. so we we go to drive. We do the small groups thing there, and so Andy is always inspiring us. Um, but we also look at Craig Rochelle. Uh, love that guy. Love what he's doing, um, and so we we try to gain you know listen to his leadership podcast and and also Elevation. You know, nice. uh, so very cool. If you could get fifteen minutes with any leader alive, who would that be and why? Okay, I had to pick Craig Rochelle, and nice. here's. Because I know there's other guys that picked him because mm -hmm. he's, he's doing – God's using him to do great work. Uh, but I just would love to sit down with him and just say, hey, okay, explain multi-site to me. How you guys are doing it? How in the world is – you know, what are the steps? What are the – and so I just – that fascinates me. The way that God's using them to do multi-site today is just mm -hmm. – it's just – it's amazing to me. Yeah, they're obviously you know hugely influential, doing all kinds of amazing things for sure. Well, I know being a you know lead pastor at a church is a lot of work. When you just want to kick back, relax, have some fun, uh, what is it that you do? Uh, definitely um, hang with my family, love that, and uh, but I also love to play basketball. Mm -hmm. And I've got a, I've got a fourteen year old son and a twelve year old son, and they're getting that to the point now where uh, the the games are competitive. Nah, they're throwing a little bit of elbow action there when they, when they play now with dad. <laughs> <laughs> brings me a lot of joy to play basketball. Yeah, that's fun. My son's uh, 13, and he, I would say in the last year and a half, he's taken to, it's fun to try to beat up dad. You know, it's that kind of, he's getting bigger and all that stuff. So that's uh, that's really cool. Well, Danny, I really appreciate you being on the show today. If people want to get in touch with you or with the church, what's the best way they can do that? My email is danderson at eclife.org. Uh, I also have a blog, dannyanderson.net, and uh, I'm on Twitter at, uh, uh, at dannyanderson23. Nice. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Rich, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter 
at Rich Birch or through email, rich at unseminary.com. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com. It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.